Joel chapter 2, 28 through 32 is where we will begin. The Bible says, After this I will pour out my Spirit on all humanity. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will have dreams, and your young men will see visions. I will even pour out my Spirit on the male and female slaves in those days. I will display wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awe-inspiring day of Yahweh comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of Yahweh will be saved, for there will be an escape for those on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, as Yahweh promised, among the survivors Yahweh calls. And Yahweh bless His word to our hearts today. Today, I will begin looking at a teaching that has gotten major attention in the past couple of years, and especially as of late, as there was supposed to be this climactic ending just last night. And it is the teaching about the blood moon tetrad, or as some know it more simply as the blood moons. Now, it has become popular mainly through a man named Mark Biltz, which is a messianic, charismatic type teacher, and also John Hagee, which is a preacher out in Texas at Cornerstone Church that you can watch if you choose on TBN. I have to say here at the start that I have a lot of agreement with Mark Biltz when it comes to the biblical calendar and understanding and celebrating the appointed times. I've watched videos of his lessons where he has explained the basics of the biblical calendar and the need for us to be coming before Yahweh at His feasts according to His timepieces, the sun and the moon, based on Genesis 1, 14 through 18. And I appreciate Mark's position on these things. And I will admit at the beginning here that when I first heard about these so-called blood moons back in 2013 by Mark Biltz, I was intrigued. And I think it was mainly because Mark Biltz was associating this blood moon teaching with the biblical calendar teaching. Now, after doing my own research, however, I must say that I disagree with Mark Biltz and John Hagee on their teaching concerning the blood moons and the blood moon tetrad being a sign of something special or a sign of a prophetic end time event. I do not agree with Mark Biltz and John Hagee on that. Now, here's a clip where Mark explains his views on the Sid Roth show. The show is called It's Supernatural. It came on one of the church channels, I think, on cable. I pulled it off of the Internet. Mark Biltz explains his views on this show back in September of 2014, which is round about the time where he, as he calls it, was the second of the four Blood moons. And instead of me explaining it, I want you to hear it directly from his mouth. To me, this is so exciting. I feel like just a, a little kid. And when I was a little kid, I loved astronomy. And I'd be laying down out on the grass, and I'd be looking up at the heavens, and like Psalms 19, where it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. And I would just be looking up, and I just love it. And I had a telescope, and I'd always be trying to find the moons around Jupiter and the ring around Saturn. And then as I got older and I became a believer and filled with the Holy Spirit and I just love God. And all of a sudden I found out about the feasts of the Lord. And I realized they weren't the Jewish feasts, but they were the Lord's feasts. And I'm going to NASA's website because I love math. I love science. 
and I had seen this beautiful total lunar eclipse over the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And I got to thinking about the Bible verses, you know, with the, the moon turning to blood and the sun to sackcloth. And so what did I do? I, I said, we'll see if there's any interesting eclipses coming up. And so I looked and I saw there, there were these four total lunar eclipses in a row. And I thought, well, how often does that happen? And so I was going to NASA's website, and I saw it didn't happen at all in the 1800s, didn't happen in the 1700s, didn't happen in the 1600s. So it's pretty rare. It's very, as a matter of fact, after my research, I found it has only happened eight times in the last 2,000 years that things have fallen on the biblical feast days. But that's what was so amazing. I'm in my prayer closet. It's about four in the morning. I was getting up, uh, you know, early uh, for a long time. And I'm praying, and all of a sudden, it's like this voice comes and says, Mark, put these on the biblical holidays. Because when I was on NASA's website, it had like April and October, April and September, and it was like a download. And so I get all excited, and I run out to my computer, and I get on the uh, computer, and I see they fell on Passover and Tabernacles, Passover and Tabernacles. So now I'm ready to jump out of my skin. I can't believe this. Oh, my gosh. You know, and so I go back, and I look. Uh, and then I see when else they've happened in history, and it just blew me away. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. On April 15, 2014, on the biblical feast of Passover, the first of four blood moons appeared, and soon after, the Hamas terrorists began firing a barrage of rockets to kill Israeli citizens, and the Israeli-Gaza war broke out. What other end-time events will there be when the next blood moon occurs on October 8, 2014? On the Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. Call now to get Mark Bilt's prophetic book and powerful DVD, The Blood Moons. And when you call, you will also receive this official biblical blood moon eclipse calendar. All yours for a donation of $49. Shipping and handling is included. Ask for offer number 9243. God has an appointed time that he wants to intersect human history. And then he says he's going to send signals through the sun and the moon when they fall on those feast days. And here they're coming. They're coming. In Mark's prophetic book and DVD, you will see throughout history, God, the master timekeeper, has used the heavenly bodies to communicate to us when significant events will happen. Learn the answers to these questions. What prophetic meaning do these biblical feasts point to? What is the difference between the biblical calendar and the Gregorian calendar, which is used today? Are these feasts and blood moons the final rehearsal before the Lord's return? And the odds of these happening are statistically off the chart. In 2,000 years, years, it has only happened eight times that you've had four blood moons in a row falling on the feast day. The heavenly alarm bells are getting ready to sound. You must get on God's calendar. Seek Him. Watch and pray so you don't miss your divine appointment with destiny. When you call, you will also get Mark's official biblical blood moon eclipse calendar. Synchronize your calendar with this biblical calendar. Understand the prophetic events about to take place on planet Earth. The calendar includes 16 beautiful photos of Israel and anointed teaching concerning every major biblical feast. Well, the one thing I know is Jesus is coming back soon. And we do not want to be ignorant of his heavenly billboard. And very few Christians understand this. Very few Christians know the exact dates. Very few Christians understand the significance from the scriptures. I want you to be the head and not the tail. 
You must get this information. Don't miss out on getting Mark Bilt's prophetic book and powerful DVD, The Blood Moons. And when you call, you will also receive this official biblical blood moon eclipse calendar. All yours for a donation of $49. Shipping and handling is included. Ask for offer number 9243. Call or you can send your check to Sid Roth. It's Supernatural. P.O. Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278. Please specify offer number 9243 or log on to SidRoth.org. Call or write today. Now, Mark Bills is a likable fellow, and I do agree with him on some biblical teachings. Um, but we have to remember that we don't base truth on people that have a likability factor. Uh, we base truth on the Bible, facts. Okay, So if that one wasn't climactic enough, let me show you a climactic clip where John Hagee speaks of the blood moons and he actually relates them. Now, these things are over with now. And I'm going to get more into this, but the last night was the last one in the Tetrad, which means four in a row on the feasts. But John Hagee relates the blood moons with the second coming of Christ. Let me show you this clip. The coming four blood moons points to a world-shaking event that will happen between April 2014 and October 2015. Jesus said in Mark 13, 24, 26, But in those days the sun shall be darkened, and the moon shall not give its light. Then they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. That verse describes a time in the future when the sun and the moon will eclipse at the same time. And God sends planet Earth a signal that something big is about to happen. So, in their teaching, this current blood moon tetrad is a series of what are actually four lunar eclipses. Now, blood moon makes for a lot more of a climactic feel than saying four lunar eclipses. It doesn't sound as climactic when you say four blood moons. But the lunar eclipse gives the moon a red appearance to someone on the earth, and thus they term it a, a blood moon. And these occurred at Passover in Tabernacles in 2014, and again in 2015. The last one was last night. We couldn't see it here because the sky was so cloudy. I was really hoping that I could watch it through my binoculars, but wasn't able to. So I know some people that did see it. Brother Tim posted a lot of Facebook links where you can see videos and people that took photography of it. Now, I think I can cover what I need to cover in, I think, two lessons, maybe three, but this will be the first lesson that will contain some specific information, but it will mostly be an introductory to the next lesson. And right here at the beginning, I would like to go ahead and give you, at the beginning of this lesson, a list of all the Bible verses that speak about the blood moon tetrad so that you can write them down yourself and do some personal study in your own time. So here's the list up on the screen of all the Bible verses that speak about the blood moon tetrad. And let the record show that everybody in the assembly can see the screen and there are no verses on the screen. And that's because there are no Bible verses that speak about the blood moon tetrad, the lunar eclipse tetrad, that you may have heard so much hype about the past couple of years even to the point that some people 
have used the Tetrad to predict the return or the second coming of the Messiah. Now, I find this interesting, amazing, perplexing, and also disturbing. When you take the time to research and study a teaching like I have done now, that claims to have biblical authority, but you cannot find it in the Bible. What is it with the hype and attention that non-biblical matters receive? What is it with this? A man claims something as biblical, but when you get to actually looking in the Bible for the teaching, you find nothing stating such. Only little tidbits that might contain a few of their keywords are found, but even these are always taken out of context. And then they're added to the hysteria of their own making. You know, this reminds me to the false mystery of the Shemitah teaching by Jonathan Kahn. I taught four-hour sermons on that on the website. You can listen to those if you haven't had a chance. You know, it's like the Bible isn't good enough What Scripture teaches about the Shemitah isn't good enough, so we've got to make something up and add to it and get everybody hyped up and sell a lot of books and sell a lot of DVDs and then write a companion study book to the original book and sell it and make literally millions off of these sales. It's like the Bible is not good enough, so men need to add something to it. Men need to claim that they received a word directly from the Lord, and He's speaking to me, so everybody needs to listen. But but you won't find it directly in the Bible because it's a hidden mystery. It's something that you need to buy my book and my DVD set to learn about for only $49, but shipping and handling is included. When I hear teachings like this, and I see people flocking to these teachings, people that I know of, and sometimes know personally in love, I cannot help but think of scriptures like Matthew 15, verse 14, where it says, They are blind guides, and if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. I also think of 2 Peter 2, 1 and 3. But there were false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. In their greed, they will exploit you with deceptive words. Their condemnation pronounced long ago is not idle, and their destruction does not sleep. That word exploit in the Greek is where we get our word emporium, and it means to make merchandise of. That's what the word literally means. In their greed... They will make merchandise of you. Teachers who make merchandise of people, leading them down non-biblical rabbit trails that end up nowhere, will be severely judged by Almighty Yahweh. Now let me admit, a lot of this stuff is very humorous to me. And I believe that even Yahweh, according to Psalms 2, the Bible says that Yahweh looks down upon the earth and He sees men that try to overtake Him. And the Bible says Yahweh laughs at them the kings of the earth and the rulers of the people. He laughs, and it is humorous, but let us not forget that while it is humorous because of the level of the ridiculousness, it is a very, very serious matter. 
teachers that do this will be severely judged by Almighty Yahweh. Severely. It's very, very important when you claim to be a teacher of the Word, the Bible, that you are very particular and specific in your exegesis and expository of the, of the Scriptures. But listen to me, friends. It is not just the blind leader that falls into the ditch. It is also the blind follower that falls into the ditch. Just because something sounds good doesn't mean that it is good. Romans 16 verse 18 teaches us that the hearts of the simple can be deceived by good words and fair speeches. And the more I meet and talk to people that have bought into this whole blood moon tetrad thing, the more I see that they have only taken somebody else's word as gospel truth, and they have not done their own research. They've not dedicated time to do research. They have not been a Berean. And in fact, let's stir up our minds in this introductory lesson by way of reminder about the Bereans. Look with me to Acts 17, verses 10 through 11. I've got the passage on the screen. The Bible says, As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas off to Berea. On arrival, they went into the synagogue of the Judahites, And the people here were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica since they welcomed the message with eagerness and examined the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Now, I want to really focus on the examining the Scriptures daily part. Now, I know that most of us know this text about the Bereans, but are we really, I mean, are we actually following their example? First, are we examining the Scriptures? The Scriptures. Are we examining the Scriptures? Give me that Bible, son. Specifically, the Old Testament. Because at the time that the book of Acts was written by Dr. Luke, the New Testament did not exist. And so the Bereans would listen to Apostle Paul preach to them, and they would examine the Scriptures, meaning the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament. The New Testament was being written by Luke, Matthew, Later on, you know, the other authors, Paul, Peter, James, they would examine the Old Testament to see if what Paul said made sense with the Old Testament. Are we examining the Scriptures? Not the news media, not the alternate news media, not social media. Goodness gracious, isn't it crazy how many people actually believe just because something comes across Facebook that it has to be true. Blows my mind. Not what he said or she said. Not the latest height in the charismatic world of prognostication. But the Scriptures. The Scriptures. Are we examining the Scriptures? What makes your heart feel excited, brothers and sisters? You know in Luke 24, 27, after His resurrection, Yeshua explained to the men on the road to Emmaus, all the things concerning Himself beginning from the books of Moses and then into the prophets. He took the time to teach them about all the scriptures in the Old Testament that spoke of Him. And then in Luke 24:32, they said this. The men on the road to Emmaus said this. Weren't our hearts ablaze within us while He was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us. Weren't our hearts 
ablaze. You know that word ablaze means to set on fire. Their hearts were set on fire when Yeshua was explaining the Scriptures about Himself to these men. What sets your heart on fire, brothers and sisters? A TBN pastor? A John Hagee? Lord forbid a T.D. Jakes or a Creflo Dollar. False to the core. Hello, false to the core. What sets your heart on fire? When you read or hear about the latest prognostication and speculation from a self-proclaimed prophet, do you get excited when another Joe Blow makes a prophecy about the end times? Is that what sets your heart on fire? Well, our heart should be set on fire when we study the Scriptures. Or when we listen to the Scriptures be explained in detail, like Yeshua did on the road to Emmaus. We're not our hearts on fire, the men said, when He was explaining the Scriptures to us. Our hearts felt like they were ablaze, these men said. That's when our hearts should burn. That's when we should get excited. That's what made the hearts of the Bereans burn for Yahweh. They received the message with great eagerness. And then they examined the Scriptures daily to make sure the message was truth. And that's the next part of their example for us. They were not just examining the Scriptures. They were examining the Scriptures daily. Daily. Not just on the Sabbath. Not just on the new moon. Not just three times a year on the set feast. Every day they got into the Old Testament. They got into the Tanakh, the Hebrew Scriptures. Are we in the Word daily? Now, this is between you and Yahweh. So all you need to do is just be honest with yourself because that's the only person that's going to hurt if you're not honest with yourself here. Do you examine the Scriptures daily? If not, repent of that today. I'm exhorting you, as Hebrews 3.13 says, while it is still called today, I'm exhorting you to get into the Word daily and let your heart be set ablaze by the study of the Scriptures. That is my exhortation. Repent of that today and get into the Scriptures what better time to begin at a feast? So let's make that repentance there. It is your spiritual food. It is what you need. It is the only thing that will feed a hungry soul. So I'm beginning to wonder how many of us, and not just us in here, but people that I meet and that we know and we meet from day to day and they claim to be Bereans, but how many of us really are Bereans? I meditated on that. I mean, really, how many of us really are Bereans? Who cares if we can quote Acts 17.11? I've been able to quote Acts 17.11 about the Bereans for many, many years now. But who cares if I can quote it with my lips? Am I following the example of Acts 17.11? That's what matters. Am I being a Berean? Am I following that example? That's what matters. You know, I have a responsibility as a pastor here in this congregation to teach you the Scriptures and to focus in on what is most important to zero in with a scope on what is most important. That means, brothers and sisters, that means you're going to hear me say a lot of the same things over and over again because I am doing what I can to iron these things into your mind and into your heart. Now, you will not hear me comment much on the latest news, the latest hype, or the latest religious fad. You won't hear me push hidden Shemitah mysteries or blood moon tetrads. I'm not going to spend my time making you fearful of any enemy or telling you to go hide in a bunker somewhere and wait for a rapture. I'm not going to waste your time filling your minds with that garbage. And the reason I'm not going to do that 
is because I love every person in here too much to waste your precious time to speak on those things. When I could be preaching verse by verse, chapter by chapter, from this book right here. Instead, I'm going to hammer week after week, month after month, year after year, basically the same thing over and over again from the Holy Scriptures. And as I teach directly from the Scriptures, you're going to hear me keep focusing mainly on two things, faith in Yeshua and keeping the commandments of Yahweh. Revelation 12:17. So the dragon was furious with the woman and left to wage war against the rest of her offspring. Those who keep the commands of Yahweh and have the testimony about Yeshua. Revelation 14:12. This demands the perseverance of the saints who keep Yahweh's commands and their faith in Yeshua. That's what I'm going to focus on from the Scriptures. I want to drill that into you, into your heart and into your mind. Faith in Yeshua and keeping the commandments of Yahweh. I want our faith in the Messiah, in Christ, in who He is, in what He stands for, in His teaching ministry, in His perfect life, in His sacrificial work at Calvary, in His resurrection on the third day, in His seat at the right hand of the Father, in His position as mediator, as we pray to the Father through the Son. I want our faith in all of that to grow deeper, more understanding, stronger, more focused, more steadfast, and immovable. And when I die, and my children are still here by Yahweh's grace, I do not want my children remembering me, remembering their dad was obsessed with non-biblical teachings and always took them down crazy rabbit trails on the hunt for something more than the Holy Scriptures. I do not want them to remember dad for that. I want my children and all of you in here who I love, I want all of you, your hearts to be set ablaze. I want my children's hearts to be set ablaze when they remember how daddy kept telling them about faith in Yeshua, how beautiful He is, how wonderful He is, how precious He is, how that He is Yahweh's Son, how that Yahweh sent Him to save us from our sins, how that they do not have to trust in their self or believe in their self, but they can trust in Yeshua of Nazareth, the humble man from Galilee, who came not to be served, but to serve others and to give His life as a ransom for many. That's what I want them to think. That's what Daddy taught us about. He's gone now, but His teaching still remains with us. Faith in the Messiah. That's what I want my children to remember. And also the keeping of the commandments of Yahweh. Don't forget that part. It's right there with faith in Yeshua in both Revelation 12.17 and Revelation 14.12. I know, I know a lot of teachers in Christianity forget that part of those verses. But it shouldn't be forgotten because it's right there as an essential of our faith. And so... I will continue to hammer over and over and over and teach the commandments. I will continue to teach the law. I will teach it as a mirror to show you your sin and drive your face down in the dirt at the feet of a blood-stained Savior. And then when you get up, I will teach the law as a guide to show you how you ought to live in this life. And I will keep doing that over and over and over again. That's all of my sermons in a nutshell. All of my sermons contain those two things to some extent in a nutshell. And by Yahweh's grace, that will be my sermon still when I'm old and I'm gray-headed and I'm feeble and I have to sit up here in a chair because I don't have the strength to stand and I can teach in this assembly. By Yahweh's grace still, that will still, by His grace, be my sermons and be my teachings. By Yahweh's grace. Because I love you. 
I love you people too much to give you anything less. Now let me calm down here. My blood pressure is rising a little bit. And I want to focus on some specifics in this introductory lesson. Now I begin this lesson with Joel 2, 28-32. Because this is the only scripture in the entire Old Testament that says anything about a moon turning to blood. This is it in the Tanakh. Now this passage is quoted in the New Testament in Acts 2, 16-21 directly by the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost. He quotes Joel 2, 28-32 in Acts 2, 16-21. And again, because it's a quotation, Peter mentions the moon turning to blood. There's one more text in the New Testament in Revelation chapter 6, verse 12 about the sixth seal which speaks of the moon becoming like blood. And that's it. These three texts of Scripture that speak of the moon turning to blood in some sense. Now, I don't personally know of anyone. Maybe there is somebody out there in the backwoods I just don't know about. But I don't personally know of anyone that thinks that these verses mean the moon will literally actually turn into real blood. Everybody recognizes that it stands, it is metaphorical or symbolic, and it teaches us something else. But there is nothing in the entire Bible about a blood moon tetrad landing on the feasts and it being a significant end time event. Zero. Goose egg. There's nothing. Nothing in the Bible about that. And there is also nothing that says the moon turning to blood. Catch this now. There is nothing in the Bible that would lead us in the direction that the moon turning to blood has to be talking about a lunar eclipse to start with. That's what Mark Biltz and John Hagee and others are promoting, but there's nothing in the Bible that tells us that it has to mean that. Let's take a moment to understand what happens at a lunar eclipse so you can see at least how they are attempting to make the connection. Now, we just had one of these last night, and it was a little bit more rare because not only was it a lunar eclipse, but it was a supermoon, as we've termed it now, lunar eclipse. Now, I'm going to take my information I'm about to share about lunar eclipses from NASA, the National Aeronautics and Space Administration. And instead of me reading a lengthy piece, I'd just like to show you a couple of videos that explain this. The first one will talk about the lunar eclipse tetrad, the four in a row, so to say. And remember, the latest tetrad occurred from April 2014 to just last night, September 2015. A tetrad of lunar eclipses presented by Science at NASA. For people in the United States, an extraordinary series of lunar eclipses is about to begin. The action starts on April 15th when the full moon passes through the amber shadow of Earth, producing a midnight eclipse visible across North America. That night marks the beginning of a lunar eclipse tetrad, a series of four consecutive total eclipses occurring at six-month intervals. The total eclipse of April 15, 2014, will be followed by another on October 8, 2014, and another on April 4, 2015, and another on September 28, 2015. The most unique thing about the 2014-2015 tetrad is that all of them are visible for all or parts of the USA, says longtime NASA eclipse expert Fred Espinac. On average, lunar eclipses occur about twice a year, but not all of them are total. 
There are three types. A penumbral eclipse is when the moon passes through the pale outskirts of Earth's shadow. It's so subtle, sky watchers often don't notice an eclipse is underway. A partial eclipse is more dramatic. The moon dips into the core of Earth's shadow, but not all the way, so only a fraction of the moon is darkened. A total eclipse, when the entire moon is shadowed, is best of all. The face of the moon turns sunset red for up to an hour or more as the eclipse slowly unfolds. Usually, lunar eclipses come in no particular order. A partial can be followed by a total, followed by a penumbral, and so on. Anything goes. Occasionally, though, the sequence is more orderly. When four consecutive lunar eclipses are all total, the series is called a tetrad. During the 21st century, there are nine sets of tetrads, so I would describe tetrads as a frequent occurrence in the current pattern of lunar eclipses, says Espinac. But this has not always been the case. During the 300-year interval from 1600 to 1900, for instance, there were no tetrads at all. The April 15th eclipse begins at 2 a.m. Eastern Time when the edge of the moon first enters the amber core of Earth's shadow. Totality occurs during a 78-minute interval, beginning around 3 o'clock in the morning on the East Coast, midnight on the West Coast. Weather permitting, the red moon will be easy to see across the entirety of North America. Why red? A quick trip to the moon provides the answer. Imagine yourself standing on a dusty lunar plane looking up at the sky. Overhead hangs Earth, night side down, completely hiding the sun behind it, the eclipse is underway. You might expect Earth seen in this way to be utterly dark, but it's not. The rim of the planet seems to be on fire. As you scan your eye around Earth's circumference, you're seeing every sunrise and every sunset in the world, all of them, all at once. This incredible light beams into the heart of Earth's shadow, filling it with a coppery glow and transforming the moon into a great red orb. Mark your calendar for April 15th and let the tetrad begin. For more rare occurrences in the night sky, stay tuned to science.nasa.gov. Now, this second video will explain a little bit about what we had last night. It was beautiful. Um, I didn't get to see it with my eyes, but according to what everybody was posting and videoing and taking photos of, it was very beautiful especially when we realize that Yahweh makes this happen in the heavens. This is a heavenly occurrence that Yahweh is doing. Here's the second video. If you look outside on September 27, 2015, you can catch a glimpse of a very rare event in the night sky, a supermoon lunar eclipse. To understand what this is, first, take a full moon. Now add the closest approach the moon makes to the Earth on its elliptical orbit, which results in it looking up to 14% larger in diameter. That's the supermoon. Now combine this with the lunar eclipse, when the moon passes directly behind the Earth into its shadow, giving it a red tint. Now you have a supermoon lunar eclipse. This is a really special event because it doesn't happen very often. Let's take a look back. Since 1900, a supermoon lunar eclipse has only happened five times. A lot changes here on Earth in between these moments. In fact, the last time you could see this event was 1982. 
and if you missed seeing it in 2015, your next opportunity won't come until 2033. So mark your calendar and head outside on September 27th. Now, let me share with you something written by a man named Jeff Gaherty, and this is from Space.com. <laughs> He's an author from Space.com. Listen carefully, follow carefully. Quote, So while a tetrad of total lunar eclipses is somewhat rare, it is not extraordinarily so, and probably nothing to make a fuss about. After all, the only thing that happens during a lunar eclipse is that the moon spends a couple of hours passing through the Earth's shadow, hardly something to be concerned about. Unfortunately, there are still many superstitious people in the world, such as the case in the book Four Blood Moons, Something is About to Change, Worthy Publishing 2013, by John Hagee, which suggests a link between the new total lunar eclipse tetrad and biblical prophecy about the end times. When the mechanisms behind eclipses were less well understood, they were thought to be omens of bad tidings, just as comets were. Now people know that these are just normal events in the clockwork of the solar system, things which have occurred regularly for thousands of years and which will occur for thousands of years into the future. Associations between disastrous events and normal astronomical events are all fabrications of the human mind as people attempt to find explanations for why disasters affect them. Because of the Internet and cable news channels, people now hear reports of disasters from around the world, including earthquakes, tsunamis, volcanic eruptions, which they never would have been aware of in the past. And it's almost inevitable that something bad will happen right after an eclipse or a visit from a comet. As an ardent sky watcher who derives much pleasure from beautiful events like lunar eclipses, it saddens me that there are prophets of doom in the world who view these life-enriching events as portents of disaster, end of that quote. Now let me point out here that John Hagee's prophecy, quote-unquote, I put big quotation marks around his prophecy. John Hagee's prophecy was just this. We've got these four blood moons coming, and something big is going to happen. Brothers and sisters, that's not a prophecy. Something big is going to happen. That means after the four blood moons are over with, what he's going to do is he's going to scan frantically the, the news and try to find something on the earth that happened. And he'll find something, and then he'll claim, well, that's what it was pointing to. That's not a prophecy, brothers and sisters. A, a true prophet says something like this. There won't be any dew or rain for the next three and a half years. Boom. And there wasn't any dew or rain for three and a half years. That's prophet Eliyahu. Elijah. That's a true prophet. Specific, to the point, exactly what he says comes to pass. No true prophet will ever be wrong. A true prophet will never, ever be wrong. So I say hogwash to John Hagee and to his supposed quote-unquote prophecies. What we see from experts in the field of astronomy is that the so-called blood moons, that is lunar eclipses, have been occurring throughout the entirety of history not just singular ones, we read or we saw, where about two happen each year. Not two totals, but you can have a penumbral or a partial or a total. But about two occur each year. But even the tetrads occur fairly frequently, and even the lunar eclipse tetrads, four in a row, have occurred on the feast eight times since the Messiah left the earth that we know of by calculation. 
Take, for instance, this next clip that I'm about to show of Dr. Hugh Ross discussing this matter with John Hagee and a few other men. Now, Hugh Ross is the president and founder for Reasons to Believe, a Christian ministry dedicated to harmonizing scientific data with the Bible. Excellent ministry. You can go to reasons.org. He harmonizes the scientific proofs that we've come to know with the Bible, and you don't have to throw out either one because they harmonize science and Bible do. Science just basically means knowledge. Hugh Ross holds a degree in physics from the University of British Columbia and a Ph.D. in astronomy from the University of Toronto. I want you to listen to what he says about the regularity of these blood moons. And Dr. Hugh Ross. Yes, well, I'm an astronomer. I did research on quasars and galaxies at Caltech, and while I was there, a church put me on their pastoral staff, and that church helped me launch Reasons to Believe. I'm the founder and president of a science faith think tank that develops new reasons to believe. All right. You say that you don't think blood moons play into the significant events of 1948 and 1967, and that these moons of 2014 and 2015 cannot have any prophetic significance. How certain are you of these conclusions, and why? I don't think there's any statistical significance to the blood moons. Blood moons are very common. We get two lunar eclipses every year. Sets of four are common, and uh, hey, it could be sets of three, four, or five. It's statistically uh, a certainty you're going to find some historical significance to any set of blood moons. Now, I do think there are signs we should look for, but I don't think the blood moons is anywhere near the significance level that we should be using them as a sign for end times prophecy. How do you explain the four blood moons happening exactly on Passover and Sukkot in two sequential years as happenstance? Well, my point is you're going to find some kind of coincidence. Uh, it's going to line up with some significant event that pertains to the Bible uh, or to uh, historical events in Israel. Given all the significances you can find, given the fact you can go with four blood moons or three or five, you're going to find something that fits. It's simply mathematically inevitable that you're going to find a concordance. Now, I would argue, however, that there are things that the Bible tells us we should look for as signs. Not something as common as blood moons, uh, but for example, it tells us in the book of Revelation, an asteroid will strike a significant water body and poison that water. Uh, and, you know, so this is a significant event, it's a rare event. My problem with the blood moons is it's not rare. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's hindsight. You're looking at different events in Israel's history and uh, looking at different events in America's history, and you're finding uh, fits. Why the attention on America and not Israel? I mean, these blood moons are visible here, uh, but not in Israel. Is there a reason why the attention is focused? Very here? scientific question, if yeah. you notice, and it's a good one. Why isn't the blood moon showing in Israel? Yeah, I mean, we can see them here in America because, you know, a total, solar, a total lunar eclipse basically is visible to about one-third to one-half the Earth. Is it because of our role as friend and defender of Israel? Is that why we have such a... I don't have an answer for yeah. why Israel can't see it. Yeah. yeah. I think that this was filmed last spring. Yeah, as a matter of fact, this was filmed last spring, 2015, when only three of the lunar eclipses had happened, and those three were not viewable from Israel, but only from parts of America, some even only out in the ocean, by the way. But the fourth one last night actually could be viewed from the land of Israel, but this clip was before that happened. As you see, John Hagee, he says, well, I don't have an answer. So he's writing books and selling all these DVDs. He should be able to answer these questions, but he can't because there is no answer. It's a false teaching. 
my point here in showing Hugh Ross's clip is if these lunar eclipses are signals for the end time judgment or the second coming, then why did they not signal the second coming a long time ago? The exact same exact thing that we just had happen in, in a two-year time frame, lunar eclipses on the most lengthy feast in Israel, has happened before seven times since the ascension of the Messiah. And the second coming has not taken place. And we saw John Hagee comment on Joel 2 at the beginning of the sermon and try to link up the lunar eclipse with the second coming of Christ. What makes this one so special and not those? Well, as much as this pains me to say, but I do believe it's true, it seems to be a fear tactic to get people afraid and to make money. I honestly believe that's what it is. And you think, well, man, you know, and especially I watch Mark Biltz and maybe some of these guys are genuinely deceived and they don't realize it. I think some of them realize it and know what they're doing. I honestly do. But I think it's a fear tactic to make money. They sell their books, their DVD sets, and then you'll see that their websites are linked up with survival websites, that, and then they sell their survival packages, and they get kicked back from that too. They're making millions, thousands upon thousands, millions upon millions of dollars. And in the end, nothing has happened, and people who propagated this false teaching like Jonathan Kahn and John Hagee are rich, filthy rich. Repentance would mean that because nothing happened with the Shemitah and the blood moons, they should be able somehow by the Internet to contact all these people that purchased these things and refund their money. And you, you know what? And, and, and if, if Hagee did that and had true repentance in his heart, Yahweh would forgive him. He would forgive him and say, I see that you, you're acknowledging that and you have true repentance and we're going to give back all the money to the people that bought into this junk. For example, look at this video uh, about how they get rich off of others from their sales. My latest book, Four Blood Moon, says something is about to change. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not about to change, it's changing now. We now have a companion study guide to the Four Blood Moons. This companion book includes an eight-week study guide plus a pull-out timeline that you'll want for yourself, your family, and your church. If you've read the book and you want more, this is for you. Order your copy of Four Blood Moons Companion Study Guide and Journal today. Call the number on the screen or visit jhm.org. The Bible declares that at the end of days, wonders will appear in the heavens and on the earth. The sun will turn to darkness and the moon to blood. Whenever you see these four blood moons, God always changes the world right before, during, and after. Throughout the centuries, people have looked for signs in the heavens to reveal the will of God. Pastor Larry Huck's compelling revelation in his book, Four Blood Moons, Prophecy, Prosperity, and Power, will take you on an exciting journey to discover God's promises, prophecy, and what lies ahead. Unlock the secrets of why these blood moons fall on Passover and Feast of Tabernacles. Get ready for prophecy to be fulfilled in 2015. Take the doom and gloom out of the end times and expect God's end time trip. Transfer of wealth, prosperity, and blessing in your life. God always changes the world right before, during, and after. Your future begins now. Order your copy today. But here's the thing. And you saw the craziness there of that. Um, Why is it that we think the mentioning of the moon turning to blood in the Bible, in Joel 2, 31... Why is it that we think that that's talking about a lunar eclipse in the first place? 
Who put that idea into our mind? Now sure, during a total lunar eclipse, the moon has a reddish-like color, like blood. But did we make that link from studying the Bible, being a Berean, or did we just believe someone who told us that a lunar eclipse is what Joel 2.31 is talking about? I think the latter is the case. I think people did not be a Berean and took somebody's word for it. Look back to Joel 2, verse 31. I want you to notice something that goes unnoticed, even though it's right here in the verse where the moon's talked about. Notice that this verse says that the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awe-inspiring day of Yahweh comes. If, if, this verse is actually speaking of a literal heavenly phenomenon, and I'm going to cover that in the next lesson, because I don't believe that it is. I think that this is symbolic language that stands for something else. We'll cover that in the next lesson. But if it is speaking of a literal heavenly phenomenon, this phenomenon would not be something like a common lunar eclipse or even a lunar eclipse tetrad, which is still somewhat of a common occurrence it would rather be a simultaneous darkening of the sun and the moon turning to blood. In other words, there would be something abnormal, out of the ordinary, happen to both the sun and the moon simultaneously on the same day. And not something normal or fairly normal only happen to one heavenly body of the moon. We'll see in these Old Testament text that the sun, moon, and stars are a package deal where they all turn dark together. That is a sign. In the words of J. Dreyer, an author from classicalastronomy.com, quote, During a total eclipse, the moon can take on a reddish-orange color, causing a bloody appearance, evoking Joel 2.31, Acts 2.20, and the breaking of the sixth seal in Revelation 6.12. But each of these prophecies also mentions a concurrent darkening of the sun, as in a total solar eclipse. But this cannot happen, this is important, catch this, but this cannot happen at the same time as an ordinary lunar eclipse since the moon cannot be in two places at once. Now what he means by that is in a lunar eclipse, the moon is behind the earth, the earth is between the moon and the sun. In a solar eclipse, the moon is in between the earth and the sun. Solar eclipses only happen during the new moon. Lunar eclipses only happen during the full moon. What, the, what this author is saying, what I'm saying is, if this is a literal heavenly phenomenon, these two things cannot happen at the same time. Therefore, these two things is not what Joel 2.31 is talking about. Continuing on, J. Dreyer. Further, the causes of solar and lunar eclipses were well understood in New Testament times and were commonly known even then to be natural phenomenon and not supernatural signs. So the ancient hearers of these scriptures were undoubtedly looking for a supernatural event to fulfill these prophecies, rather than the commonplace twice-annual lunar eclipses. And that's from a paper that's titled Shemitah Years and Blood Moons as Market Timing Tools, page 22. Now, I was going back over my notes this morning, and I don't have this on the screen, but I want to turn to Matthew chapter 27, and I want to point out something in Matthew 27, 45 through 46. 
where there are some people, some lunar Sabbatarians, who try to teach that the new moon is actually the full moon. And this is one of the verses that they try to use to teach that because they say that when Yeshua died on the torture stake, the sun went dark. And they say that's a solar eclipse and that can only happen at a new moon time. So that proves that what we generally think is a new moon really is the 15th day of the month. And the full moon is the first day of the month. Matthew 27, 45 through 46. It says, From noon until three in the afternoon, that's approximately what? Three hours. Darkness came over the whole land. At about three in the afternoon, Yeshua cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my El, my El, my mighty one, my mighty one. Why have you forsaken me? The point that I want to bring out here is that if you study solar eclipses, you will find that the longest that a solar eclipse lasts when it happens is eight minutes. Most of them only happen for around two to three minutes. And they're very commonplace. This, what took place in Matthew 27 at the death of the Messiah, was definitely at the time of a full moon, the 15th day of the month, And it was not a common solar eclipse. This was an abnormal occurrence, a supernatural abnormal occurrence that Yahweh caused in the heavens to darken the sun for not two, three, or eight minutes, but for around three hours. This is definitely a sign. It's visible. It's something that doesn't normally occur in in astronomy. This is something abnormal. There's something that this means... And obviously we know it has to be significant because it happened concurrent with the death of the Messiah. So there's something special about that. It's not talking about a solar eclipse. Thus that part of their doctrine is disproven. Now on the heels of this, I'd like to show one final video clip and then we'll let you out to eat and feast and all that good stuff. I want to show one final video clip from a Bible student named Chris White who did an excellent job explaining this point in rebuttal to the blood moon tetrad theory. Now he rightly brings out, Chris White rightly brings out, that even the stars, and not just the sun and the moon, are in the picture. Look at this last clip I'll show. The first thing we need to critique is that what is being described by Biltz and Hagee is the same thing as what the Bible describes. The Bible speaks of the so-called sun, moon, and star signs several times. Here is an example from Revelation 6:12 through 13. And I beheld, and when he opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. Also from Matthew 24:29, Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Examining the full texts about this event show that in addition to the sun and moon going dark, the stars also go dark. The Bible describes this sign as a global darkness that covers the whole planet. Whatever this is, it will not simply make the sun and moon go dark, but also the stars in the sky. This is obviously something more than an eclipse. If I were to guess, it would have to be something in the atmosphere that blocks out the entire sky altogether. Or it could be a supernatural event that causes this universal darkness. The only way that Bilts and Hagee seem to get around this is by quoting Joel 2.31 most often. 
because in that verse only the sun and moon are mentioned. However, if you look 21 verses before this, you will see that Joe also intended his readers to know that the stars would go dim as a result of this event as well. Joel 2.10 says, The earth shall quake before them, the heavens shall tremble, the sun and the moon shall be dark, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. It is also made crystal clear by God in Ezekiel 32.7-8 that universal darkness is what is meant here. It says, And when I shall put thee out, I will cover the heaven, and make the stars thereof dark. I will cover the sun with a cloud, and the moon shall not give her light. All the bright lights of heaven will I make dark over thee, and set darkness upon the land, saith the Lord God. So unless Biltz and Hagee want to try to explain how these eclipses will make all the stars and every other light in the sky dark at the same time, then they should admit that what they're talking about is not the same thing as what the Bible is predicting. We also see from the other mentions of this event that it includes an earthquake. And as we've seen, John called it a great earthquake. Joel said, quote, the earth shall quake before them. This is the same problem. This great earthquake is an integral part of the so-called sun, moon, and star sign. There is nothing about an eclipse, even four of them, that would cause an earthquake. In addition, it should be obvious to anyone reading the verses that we have quoted that these events occur simultaneously, on the same day and at the same time. And it's literally impossible for a solar eclipse and a lunar eclipse to occur simultaneously. All you have to do is look at why and how these eclipses occur, and you'll see that that is not a possibility. That's such a great rebuttal from Chris White, showing that if, if, Joel 2 is a reference to the actual sun, moon, and stars, the heavenly bodies themselves, literally turning dark, which I actually do not believe, by the way. I'll talk about that in the next lesson. If it is a reference to that, though, Chris White correctly points out that all three would have to simultaneously see shining in the heavens along with this great earthquake over the earth. Not just one of the three bodies in the heavens, not just two of the three, but all of the three. Now that point alone proves the whole lunar eclipse being the biblical blood moon of Joel 2.31 false. But is Joel 2.31 even talking about a heavenly astronomical phenomenon? When the Bible speaks of the sun becoming dark and the moon turning to blood, and now we've seen, and the stars ceasing to shine, is that to be taken astronomically, literally? Or is it symbolic language standing for something else. Well, you'll have to come back for the next lesson where I'll examine this and I'll, I believe I'll answer this, script, this question from the Holy Scriptures. We're going to be a Berean and I think it is very eye-opening. So, in a couple of weeks we'll get back into this. Who's ready to eat? I am. Appreciate your time and attention. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer. Yahweh Father, thank you. I love you. I appreciate you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for a good understanding. We bless you for the food that we're going to receive. Give us a good feast time, good fellowship, a lot of fun. Through your son, Yeshua, I pray. Amen.